Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is Bob Mendelson, and this is the Bob's Your Uncle podcast. Shalom, friends. This is a bonus episode. It's not numbered 1.10b or anything. This is going to be a special Bob's Your Uncle podcast where I tell you a bit of my story. Not the story that got me onto the podcast circuit, but a story that I want to tell you because it's Passover and Easter when I am recording this. I'm in the middle of Kansas, and I'm thinking a lot about those days 51 years ago when I had a moment with the Almighty. And it's a significant time. I don't want to forget it. I do tell my story often. I get asked about it a lot as I'm out on this speaking tour in 2022. How was it that you, as a Jewish person, came to believe that Yeshua is the Messiah? Well, let me tell you, I didn't think this would ever happen. I was not raised to be a Messianic Jew. I was raised as an Orthodox Jew, and for me, Jesus was as foreign as, oh, I don't know, Australia was to me as a Kansas City Jew. It was the 50s and the 60s, and I was uh, an Aussie and Harriet, black and white, leave it to beaver kind of guy. I rode my bicycle to school. I was very devoted to things religious, to my Jewish religion. I didn't believe in Jesus. I didn't even know anything about him or the stories. All I knew was he was for the other team, and our team didn't need him. I had my bar mitzvah in 1964 at Kehilath Israel Synagogue. Hundreds of people were there, including Ed Charles, the third baseman for the Kansas City Athletics, who later became the third baseman for the New York Mets in their amazing season of 1969. My Spanish teacher, Sally Simpson, was there. Hundreds of people, mostly old people like my parents, but then I had my friends there as well. I was, in a way, a celebrity. There were people who thought I was pretty good at what I did, reading the prayers, singing the prayers, chanting the Torah and the Haftorah sections from the scriptures, giving a drash, a little talk, a little sermon. I didn't write it. The rabbi wrote it, and it ended with a very funny comment. I'd like to thank my beloved rabbi, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I didn't write that part. I got a lot of pens and pencil sets, $5 savings bonds from the bank in those days, and I felt very good about what I had done. While most of my friends stopped attending synagogue after they got their bar mitzvah, I continued. Religion meant a lot to me, and I was pretty good at it. I was good with facts and figures, and my Hebrew was developing well, my awareness of my people. I became uh, fairly substantial in my synagogue youth group, including not just our synagogue, but the regional uh, relationships I had with Des Moines and Wichita, 
Omaha, St. Louis, in the Synagogue Youth Organization of the National Conference of Synagogue Youth. I guess for me, Jewish was who I was. Oh, we played together in uh, music. We played together in sport, whether baseball or football, whatever the season was. And I prayed together with some of the men, mostly the fellows. I continued my Hebrew education. And it was when I was 16 years old that I went to a youth camp up in Wild Rose, Wisconsin. It was called Camp Mosheva. And there I met a Jewish man from New York. His name was, I don't know, I've I've called him Jimmy for this long. Maybe it wasn't Jimmy, but we'll call him that. And Jimmy confronted me with some of my compromises. We had kept a kosher home, but we also once in a while brought in non-kosher food. So how is that possible? Well, we put it on a separate set of dishes or just paper plates. It seemed to be a little negotiable and not exactly in keeping with a proper Torah-observant lifestyle. Jimmy confronted me with some of my compromises, and at 16 years old, you think you know it all. (laughs) So what did I do? I told Mom and Dad when I got home from that sleepaway camp up in Wisconsin, I told them I wasn't going to be eating their food, but was going to prepare my own. I wasn't going to drive to their synagogue, the one I'd grown up in all my life, but I was going to switch to one that was nearer, and I walked to that. It was called Ohev Shalom. And and they had a machitza, the divide between men and women. It made so much more sense for me to walk there and maintain my religion. I was 17 when I went to university in St. Louis at Washington University. And I got seriously into the fun and pleasure of university, not necessarily the studies for which I had been designated. I was on scholarship, but that quickly faded And after three semesters, I dropped out of uni and began hitchhiking around the U.S., looking for meaning and relevance. It wasn't where I thought it would be in the Jewish religion, though I had been continuing my learning with Rabbi Poland from Teferis, Israel, where the Hever Kedisha also was there in University City at the Del Mar Loop. Well, I longed for something that would give me satisfaction and personal development. I remember being in Atlanta, Georgia, and looking for answers with a woman or with drugs. I was in Atlanta, and I was surrounded one sunny Sunday afternoon by some, I guess we called them Jesus freaks in those days. There were four of them. They had short haircuts. They had white shirts and skinny ties. And I didn't look like that at all. I was a classic hippie. And they harangued me about Jesus. They wanted me to come to believe in him. And I was ridiculing and laughing at them. It wasn't a very comfortable moment in my life, and maybe not in theirs. I remember being surrounded by hundreds of young people in New Orleans as I was playing sweet Judy Blue Eyes from Crosby, Stills, and Nash on my 12-string guitar that I had bought at a pawn shop somewhere along the line. I lost that guitar somewhere along the line, probably stolen, who knows where. 
But for that moment in history, right across from the Café du Monde, where you could get the best beignets and café au lait, right near Jackson Square Park, my goodness, the crowd was loud and singing, and it was a delightful time, almost a mini Woodstock for a moment, as pleasure filled the air and the grassy lawn. Mm, But those moments didn't last. I was in Fort Lauderdale, and for the only time in my life, ever before or since, I had never had this experience. Two men approached me within about, oh, I don't know, four or five hours of each other and invited me back to their place. I'd never experienced such an invitation, and I certainly didn't experience the result of that invitation. I said, no, thank you to them both. I wondered what I had had on my shirt or in my hair that communicated that that would be of interest to me. I loved being noticed, but for some reason that invitation, those invitations, were not so pleasant. That same weekend, I was arrested and taken to a Pompano Beach jail where I was arrested for uh, vagrancy and disorderly conduct. It doesn't take much to be disorderly when a policeman doesn't want you in his path. I was in jail, and there was a fellow there. I don't remember his name at all. And he's the one who gave me the money to get out of jail. He was a delightful young man, the only one under 30 in that whole jail. And he was reading what I would call a well-worn Gideon Bible. I wondered if that book had influenced him to be generous to give me the money. He had enough for me, not enough for him to get out. Well, I left, and like in the new Toyota commercial where they jump up and kick their heels, they're so excited, so happy, I I couldn't jump that high, but I was extremely happy. But I didn't really yet have anything of meaning and relevance that I wanted to pursue. I panhandled, got the money, and took it back to the jail and gave it back to the young man who had paid my way out, as a thank you, I guess. I was in Washington, D.C. for the moratorium or some kind of march against the military-industrial complex when I talked to my father for the first time in a long time, and he sent me the money or a ticket, I'm not sure what it was in those days, to fly back one way on TWA, and I got a good meal on that airline, (laughs) and it was for Passover 1971. There it was, a delightful time with family, cousins, and grandmothers, and my father, mother, my sister, and we had the Seder together. The Jewish Passover is so meaningful, and it's that that I'm out sharing on this two-week speaking tour when I'm pondering again Passover and Easter. And I'm reflecting on those moments that I had in 1971. It didn't stop at the Seder. On the second night of Seder, I was a little less cordial to my family than I should have. And my mother suggested that I lead the gathering that night, which I quickly took up and said, yes, that sounds great. 
and I wanted to make the Passover meal into a conversation about black people and slavery and everybody being free. It made sense politically, socially, ethnically, ethically. Well, we did that until the second cup of wine, and I walked out of the house. Uh, What caused that was uh, several circumstances, but I walked out, and it's a full moon, the 15th of the month of Nisan. And I looked up to heaven and for the first time in my life prayed, not to the man in the moon, but to the God who seemed to always be far beyond it. And I asked God if there was another way to get to know him or to follow religion. Well, I came back where I was where I was with my mom and dad, and after a few a few days I got a new residence for a month. And I was out for a walk there at Volker Park near Kansas City's Nelson Art Gallery. And I met these two young people my age, 18, 19 years old, not like those people who surrounded me and harangued me in Atlanta, Georgia. These were young people who seemed to believe, really practice what they believed, and they also were out to talk about and maybe peddle the name of Jesus. But no, they seemed genuine, humble, real. I went back where I was staying. I started reading the pages of the Newer Testament, St. Matthew, St. Mark, St. Luke, St. John. I thought they were all Catholics. I, I didn't know. And there I heard and read and saw the consummate hippie, the man of peace and love and meaning and relevance. And that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. But I'm Jewish. Jews don't believe in Jesus. (laughs) I went to a girl's house. Her name is Marva. Went to her house there in Leewood. Oh, just a few nights later. And I said, Marva, I want this Jesus stuff, love and joy and peace, but I don't want Jesus because I knew it would cost me my family. She said, you don't get this Jesus stuff unless you take Jesus as your Savior. So that night, May of 1971, God forgave me my sins. God made me born again, and I sang Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know, every week on the podcast, I have an historical marker of the week where we talk about significant moments in global history, from Julius Caesar to the invention of such and such. But today's historical marker is that in my life, in the middle of May 1971, God, in his mercy, opened my eyes to see the beauty of Yeshua to cause me to call out to him. And he loved me and gave himself for me. I ran home. I told mom and dad that Jesus was the Messiah. (laughs) Yeah, that wasn't exactly the smartest time to do that. And it cost me our relationship for a good long time. Yeah, they threw me out of the house. I didn't know what to do with them. They didn't know what to do with me. To be fair... They were good people and were just trying to figure out what to do with a Messianic Jew as their son. We got in good relationship later on. Our lives kept crissing and crossing together over time. And mom passed away in 04 and dad in 05. I'm glad to say we had a good relationship. I wonder... 
Have you ever wondered who Yeshua was, who Jesus was? Have you read the story for yourself? Or was it just something that you were taught not to believe? Or was it something you were taught to believe, but you've dismissed it because it was just a child's story? Well, I urge you, whatever stage of life you're in and whatever country you're in, to reconsider who is Jesus? If you don't have a copy, can you let me know and I'll send you a link to a good uh, uh, Older Testament, Newer Testament, Bible, Hebrew, Greek, what, whatever language you speak. Oh, in Espanol, oh, in Inglés, and I'm happy to help. It's the best book out there. We read from the Bible every week on the podcast. I urge you to just open it up. Every week, Amanda McGinnis sponsors the show, but... I'm not interviewing her on this one. This is a bonus podcast for the nephews and nieces (laughs) who say Bob's your uncle. I want you to consider it. Consider who Jesus is. Maybe this will be a time for you, like the Jewish people celebrating Passover, redemption. We got out from bondage. And the, the believers in Jesus who are celebrating Easter that we got out of sin by the kindness and grace of a risen Savior. If that's what you want to ponder, you want to talk about, can you send me an email? BobMendo at AOL.com. I'd love to talk to you. Have a great week. Shalom. Shalom.